0: This is a CBC Podcast.
2: Hi, everyone. Just wanted to let you know that this episode was recorded before the COVID-19 pandemic. That's why you won't hear us talking about it, and you won't hear us talking about the impact it's had on how we grieve. Just so you know, this episode has a bit of cursing in it, just in case you're listening around younger years.
3: People are curious, and that's great.
2: But there are some questions you just shouldn't ask, or at least not like that.
3: I'm Harvinder Vadva.
2: I'm Elena Hudgens-Lyle.
3: And this is Inappropriate Questions.
2: Let's get inappropriate.
3: Elena, the other day when you told me the next inappropriate question is, how are you? I was like, how could that be an inappropriate (laughs) question? And then you clarified. This was about grief.
2: Yeah, I've been really excited since the start of our show to do an episode about grief because I think it's really hard to talk to people who are grieving. I mean, I myself lost my mom to lung cancer when I was 15, Mm -hmm. and something about Having gone through a big loss made me think that when I meet other people who are grieving or who have lost someone, I'm going to know exactly what to say. (laughs) But when I talk to friends who are grieving, I still don't know what to say Mm -hmm. and how to approach it.
3: Yes, because I am always very uncomfortable when somebody shares his or her grief with me. Mm-hmm. And it is not because I don't care about them. Yeah. It is I'm always worried about offending them, saying something that may hurt them. And and uh, an example is that uh, I have known you for a number of years and I know that you have lost your mom. Mm-hmm. I have never, ever brought that subject up. I've always tried to skirt any reference that has come. Mm. So now that we are talking about it, do you feel comfortable talking about uh, your mom?
2: Yeah, I think I largely do. The uncomfortable thing for me, I think, is when I'm afraid I'm going to make the other person feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm -hmm. Because, you Mm. know, I bring up my dead mom it's like the air gets sucked out of the room. Mm-hmm. So I I mostly want to be able to just talk about it and feel comfortable sharing this truth about my life and not make everyone sad or yeah. scared yeah. or uncomfortable.
3: Well, what I am uh, hoping to learn is how to be able to share your genuine concerns, your genuine emotions yeah. and use the right words, which uh, show the person we care about, them, yeah and also are not uncomfortable ourselves in that yeah. situation
2: bingo i think i think that is a lofty goal but we shall strive for it absolutely let's get into it are you okay how are you doing it's an unmanageable
4: question for people who are dying or people who are grieving
1: you realize very quickly that this feeling that you've been keeping inside of you everyone you know has been keeping that same feeling inside
3: Today, we are talking to comedian Michael Cruz-Kane. Michael lost his infant son, Fisher, about 10 years ago. Until recently, he has been very private about his grief.
2: Michael took to Twitter and wrote, 10 years ago today, my son died, and I basically never talk about it with anyone other than my wife. It's taken me 10 years to realize that I want to talk about it all the time. Michael's tweets about grief went viral. His thread goes on to talk about grief and how complex it is. It's really beautiful, but his overall message is pretty simple. Ask your friend about the sad thing that you never talk about. Can you tell us a bit about Fisher's story?
1: Sure. Um, So my wife and I were hoping to get pregnant. And she got pregnant with twins. Mm -hmm. Um, Shortly thereafter, we found out that our twins had something called twin-to-twin transfusion syndrome, which you probably don't know about. But basically what it means is that one of the twins gets more nutrients than the other one. And as a result, they kind of both suffer from it. Mm -hmm. So we went to Philadelphia to have this sort of cutting-edge surgery where they... To really dumb it down, shoot lasers at your kids and help them reallocate the nutrients, mm. and basically the surgery worked. So the kids were both uh, in really good shape. Um, right. They were delivered at 32 weeks, which is a little bit early, but not crazy early. And then just sort of all of a sudden, they both got incredibly sick, mm. seemingly out of nowhere. Mm. But Fisher, who was the younger of the twins, I mean, you know, younger by a few seconds, right? Um he was perhaps less equipped to deal with whatever the illness was and that's what he died from mm-hmm. so he lived to be 34 days old um was in the hospital the entire time that's the the short version of it
3: very sorry to hear that
1: thank you so much
3: we understand that you did not speak with anybody for 10 years so well
1: what? it wasn't that I didn't speak with anybody it just it was like a you know people would ask about it but grief is like such a complicated issue and really something that's um so suppressed that people really don't know how to how to deal with it. So I think mm-hmm. I I w- wasn't comfortable talking about it because I could sense that other people were also not comfortable talking about it. Right. Mm-hmm. And right. so and maybe took me a decade to get to a place where it's like I kind of don't care as much if you're comfortable or not. It's something that I want to talk about now. And I, I wouldn't say that I'm forcing people to talk about it. But I'm not dodging it as much. Right. So I have a son and a daughter at home right now. If someone says, you know, how many kids do you have? But I'm much more likely to tell someone, I have three kids. One of them's dead. And then, you know, that is a fucked up thing to hear. It freaks people out, you know? Yeah. Um, But I don't mind that as much as I used to. I used to be really scared of like, what's going to happen when I tell this person who was just like asking, just, you know, they just want to go on with their day. Yeah. They don't don't want to have to talk with me about this. But I think it just became a thing where once I was comfortable talking about it, I felt sort of obsessed with it. Right. Um, And that's where I'm at now.
3: So did you feel that now when you started talking about it, people were more comfortable or uh, whatever the hesitation people had prior to this, it was kind of similar?
1: Uh, I think that in general, I have found people to be more comfortable than they perhaps would have expected themselves to be. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) One of the main reasons for that is so many people have gone through something like Mm -hmm. this. I mean, like death of a child is almost an absurd level of tragedy because it like yeah, inverts right. the way you think the world is supposed to be. Yeah. Right. Pretty mm-hmm. much everyone has lost a parent or um you know a cousin or whatever. Mm-hmm. You've seen somebody die that you were like, wait, they were not supposed to die. Yeah, right. right. You realize very quickly that this feeling that you've been keeping inside of you Everyone you know has been keeping that same feeling mm-hmm. inside. I mean, maybe not right. the same, but you know what I mean? Like yeah. a feeling in that family.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, so the thing that I've found is the more that I talk to people about it, the more that someone tell a story to me that I didn't know. So like mm-hmm. someone who's been a friend of mine forever, and I start opening up about Fisher, and they're like, you know, I never talk about this, but, you know, my wife had four miscarriages or whatever, stuff like that. And so it made me feel much more comfortable asking people about it because i harbored this suspicion that people wanted to, hmm. especially when you talk to someone about grief and you go beyond the first or second question, right? That, you know, your dad died or whatever, I'm, I'm so sorry to hear about that. How did he die? Man, that's brutal. And then the next thing is usually like, so would you guys want to get quesadillas? Or like what, like <laughs> it's like an abrupt shift back to normality. Mm-hmm. Right. And what I found is if you follow up with, tell me about your dad, that unlocks, you know, this whole chamber of a person who's like, oh my gosh, you know, my dad had this, whatever, this really funny thing about him, or my dad was a cheap bastard. There's a whole <laughs> universe like death. This, I'm stealing this from a play, um, <laughs> but death ends a life, but not a relationship. You know what I mean? So there's still <laughs> like this, you're still having this relationship with your deceased other. Yeah. And it's ongoing. And I think there's a thing where people are like, you know, I don't want the reason I never ask about it is I don't want to remind you of that thing. And for people who've gone through it, it's like, bro, I'm not forgetting it. Like there's I'm Mm. never going to wake up and be like, oh, you know what? And also my kid died. It's like I that's always playing. You know, that's one of the many Parts of the orchestra or whatever that makes up the soundtrack of my life. What is that metaphor? (laughs) (laughs) I I could track. I could follow. Thank you.
3: It's very interesting what you said because I have found myself in situations and I am just dumbfounded. I have no idea what is going to be the next question or what am I going to say to that person. And I'm just quiet and uh, it's so uncomfortable. For uh, everybody.
5: Right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that like 40-second awkward silence.
5: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: And waiting for something else to, to happen so yeah, we can talk and, about it. And, for the quesadilla yeah, I think,
3: invite. And then when do you walk <laughs> exactly. away? Exactly.
1: I don't want to give the impression that I'm like, you simply must ask another question about right. it. Because it's not. it's really not that. And it's all to your level of comfort. I, I think it's more that... A lot of people are holding something in them Mm -hmm. that they would love to get out, that they would love to be like, I want you to meet my dad, even though he's dead. I want Mm -hmm. you to meet, I want you to know who that was, because you're my friend. And that's a very important person in my life. And when you give them that opportunity, I have really seen them like light up, like the joy that it brings to them to connect other people to their deceased relatives or friends or whatever. It's really rewarding and and humbling and honoring to be able to be in the presence of that. It's cool. I like it. Hmm. So it's it, it's cathartic to talk about uh... Harv. That's the word I should have said. Yes, <laughs> it's, cathartic. it's cathartic. Can we? Is there a way to edit this so I say it? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I, in my experience, I lost my mom in my teens, and I just want to be able to talk casually about it. I kind of want to be able to be like, hi, I you know, took some clothes from a dead mom's closet today, hashtag privileges of a dead parent, I don't know, <laughs> and have someone be like, not, like maybe laugh at that or just be like, oh, that's cool. Like People are like, oh, and you're like, I didn't mean to punch you in the gut. I just want to tell you the truth about my life.
3: Alina, uh, Elena, just going a little bit on tangent, why is uh, why would you uh, tell anybody that this particular piece of clothing belongs to your dead mom as opposed to your mom?
2: Oh, I mean, good question. I guess I just don't want to lie. I guess I want to be honest about my circumstance. Or like sometimes, I don't know if you've had this, Michael, if you talk about maybe your kids and then someone, they, they make these assumptions that someone is still in your life. And then you have to be like, actually, no. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, I remember when my son died, you know, like months after that, I sort of was like in a cave with my wife, basically, where we didn't really see people except for very close friends and family. And then, you know, I was still doing comedy at that time. And I remember one of my close friends coming up to me and a bunch of people knew that I had twins. Mm mm-hmm coming up to me and being like, hey man, can't wait to come by and meet the twins. And just having to put my arm around him and be like, bro, I, I don't want to tell you this, but one of them died. And then the two of us walking directly into rehearsal and being like, I'm so sorry I said that to you. Oh my gosh. Like a, just a guy trying to be nice. Yeah. Or like eventually having that guy come over to my house and having him be like, well, here's one. Where's the other oh my one? God. You know, at some point People are gonna find out. So for me, it's like if there's a time to drop this early, I'd rather do that now right. than have these people ask a bunch of questions about the twins and be like, you know, things are things are going really great, actually, or whatever, and have them find out eventually. Yeah, right. It's difficult to broach it, but almost mean to withhold it. Right. Yeah. How are you?
3: Did you get asked that or uh, questions similar to that?
1: Um, the thing that was most common and. I wouldn't want anyone who had ever asked me this question to be like, oh my God, what have I done? (laughs) But I would say the most common thing would be stuff like, how are you doing and what can I do to help? Like those are very benign, pleasant, Mm -hmm. nice, good questions. Mm -hmm. But when you're in that mode, you're not really at a place to like delegate responsibilities or like the question was one that I didn't know how to answer, and almost asking me the question made me feel like I don't fucking I gotta respond to this email now. Uh, <laughs> I guess, I, I guess bring uh, some some gift cards to iTunes. I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> but for me it was more like this is a time when I'm fielding a bunch of stuff, and I don't want the homework of you asking me mm-hmm. to respond to your email right or to, you know for me to think of what, the scheduling to make sure that it, you know just that kind of stuff i think was a little bit onerous but again i don't hold that against anybody and you know i, I don't think the internet would agree with me in most cases but <laughs> intent is like 95% I of the agree. whole thing I it's agree. just like are you trying to make me feel bad if no we're good right exactly
3: <laughs> what is the right question at that time
1: hmm, That's tough. What on is the, the right question? I should have appropriate prepared this question. Yeah, <laughs> because we need to
3: stick to our brand.
1: Branding. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess it's like how are you doing? But it's really like if the question is a little more active, mm-hmm. then it feels less like something you're doing in a way that's obligatory. Or if there, or if you mm-hmm. follow up, mm-hmm. then there's a sense that like oh, I actually do want to know about this. Mm-hmm. That's when I feel able to engage and like unload. Mm -hmm. some of the stuff that I've been feeling. Hmm. right? You know what I mean? Knowing that the person I'm talking to is comfortable with me getting into whatever part of this I want to get into without recoiling. And I think that's very Mm -hmm. hard for people because my instinct in most of those circumstances is to deflect probably to like make a joke, Mm -hmm. which is fine and good also. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a part of me, especially then that wants the therapeutic release, that catharsis Mm. of being able to talk about it for real. Hmm. Right.
2: In your Twitter thread, you talk about how complicated grief can be. You call it a galaxy of emotions. And in particular, I found it interesting how you talked about how parts of grief were Mm. funny. I think that would surprise a lot of people. Um, What parts of grief were funny for you?
1: I mean, there are a bunch of moments where even the day that he... Uh, really got sick until maybe like three or four days after he died. Mm-hmm. Are at least part of that would include some of the times I've laughed harder than like at any other time in my entire life, just because mm-hmm. you're so in the gallows. Like like the anything peeking through feels so absurd. I remember mm-hmm. there were things like where the place that did the funeral that ended up cremating our son, they had. At the bottom of the receipt <laughs> there, it said, thank you, come again, which was just an insane <laughs> thing that. to write.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, that's just
1: same. absurd. I mean, the, probably the like darkest thing mm-hmm. that I remember really being funny then to me was that one of the doctors gave a onesie to my surviving son, mm-hmm. and I was opening it in the car with my brother and sister, and they were like, what do you think this onesie is going to be? Mm-hmm. And I said, I think it'll say something like, my brother died and all I got was this lousy (laughs) (laughs) t-shirt. I just remember cackling for like 10 minutes at how (laughs) funny we all found that just because like, I don't know. So there are moments like that that are so funny. And part of what I have wanted is to just be able to talk about that stuff with people. Because I think the only thing that we're sort of permitted publicly Mm -hmm. is this um complete and total surrender to the sadness and mm. you should have that mm-hmm. like and you should have that for as long as you need to have it. I'm not trying to rush anybody out of it mm-hmm. uh, again I don't want to speak for I don't I don't want you to go to your friend's funeral and tell jokes and have them be like get out <laughs>
3: <laughs> so michael how do how did you or how do you talk to your kids about uh, their brother
1: oh cool question so we talk about it periodically. So it's something that they're they're aware of. Um, Mm -hmm. It's it's never been a secret. So my son, who's alive, it was his birthday recently. Mm -hmm. And my daughter was like, oh, you know, we should put another candle on the cake for Fisher, stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So they're definitely aware of it. My daughter, who was not alive during any of the time that Fisher was alive, will sometimes say, you know, Mm -hmm. tearfully, I wish I had met Fisher. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know truly what How that will manifest itself as they get older. Like, I really hope it's not going to be the thing that they're, you know, with their therapist being like, I can't fucking believe my parents told me this shit. Like, it really ruined (laughs) me. But I don't know. We just, we, I didn't, we didn't know how, what else to do. So that's Mm -hmm. what we did. We told them about it. We talk about it Mm -hmm. and we do our best to like field whatever questions they have about it Mm -hmm. and not make them feel like bad kids or whatever for asking. Mm-hmm. Um every year on the anniversary of his death is like Fisher Day and so we try and do something, you know, generous or charitable. Hmm.
2: Do they do they really enjoy taking part in these in these rituals like how do they feel about it?
1: I think they like it. I think it's like uh I think it's cool to them to be a part of it. I think they've had at least one argument about which one of them Fisher would like more. Oh my god. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's like there's definitely stuff like that that I think they look at the idea of Fisher with like a sort of a pure childlike mm-hmm. like wonder and appreciation. Mm-hmm.
2: Thanks so much for speaking to us. That was wonderful. Thank you.
6: My name is Madeline Chung and I experienced two really significant losses um, in the past year. It's funny being a Canadian born Chinese woman because I didn't really see my parents express too much grief, which I think when the people who are around you going through the same things, you are not expressing their emotions in the same way or not really open to discussing it in the way that you'd like, it's difficult. I think that, personally, I found in the past when someone had experienced a loss, I was always scared of bringing it up because I didn't want to make them emotional in the moment. But I've realized now that, I mean, it's not a bad thing for that person. That person is grieving. That person has gone through a loss, and it's normal for them to become emotional. I think people in general tend to get uncomfortable around other people's emotions.
0: What if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it.
1: When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive.
0: Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Even when we're ready to open up conversations about grief, it's still really hard. For some concrete tips on how to do this well, I spoke to Kayla Moore Youssef. She's a death doula, which means she prepares dying people and their loved ones for death and its aftermath. And she's also a grief and bereavement counselor. Here's Kayla's advice on what is and isn't helpful to say to people who are grieving.
4: While we are compassionate and we try, we have the best of intentions as a society. We are not educated We are not equipped and we do not actually handle it well. Right. Grief. We say the wrong things. One of the worst things we say a lot to grieving people are a slew of statements beginning with the words, at least. Oh, I hate those. Yeah. Um, like, at least he lived a good life. At least you have time to find another husband. Oh, no. At least you still have two kids. Hmm. The at least have got to, like, be removed from your lexicon of grief speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and but we mean, it's the best of intentions again, right? Mm-hmm. When somebody says, like, I have cancer or somebody I love just died of cancer, you want to relate, right? Yeah. So you tell a story of the person you knew who had cancer. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not helpful. And it also turns it on to the grieving person to suddenly want to comfort you.
2: Yeah. So
4: that's a problematic dynamic. Mm -hmm. But again, built on the best of intentions. Um, Also, we do things like it's just nuanced things. We say, let me know if I can do anything for you. A grieving Mm -hmm. person isn't. A, doesn't know what help support they need. And B, isn't going to come out and ask you for support. Mm -hmm. So what we need to do for a grieving person is just show up. Show up and do their laundry. Show up and take their kids out for a day. One of the best things you can do for a grieving person is show up with food. People in, it like, immediate grief, they're not thinking about or prepared or in a place to, like, make all of their meals. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the best things you can do is just show up with some food. Yeah. Um, but, like, saying how can I help you or let me know how I can help you is actually really confusing and a bit overwhelming for a grieving person mm-hmm. to, like, come back to you with an answer or response. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, our society is pretty good with being compassionate but not really good with acting on it or actually being equipped with the right words. Mm, yeah. The one really nice thing you can do, and this includes in condolence cards, is offer an anecdote of their loved one who died. Or this is like a really nice story or this is how they were meaningful to me or how they affected my life. Right. Because that could be really meaningful to them mm-hmm. to hear a story about their loved one they'd never heard before.
2: Yeah. And it helps you realize as a grieving person how big of an impact this person might have had. Exactly. And that it wasn't just you who cared. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You were talking about a lot of statements that aren't very helpful. Mm -hmm. What about questions people can ask a grieving person?
4: Um, Yeah. yeah, So the big one is, the big one you shouldn't ask is, how are you? Because as you can imagine, that's like a bit of a slap in the face. It sounds really patronizing. You know that when you're in a bad mood Mm -hmm. and somebody says, how are you, you want to punch them in the face. (laughs) And on the the flip side, it also applies to people who are dying. Mm. If I found out I was dying and somebody asked me how, how are you, it's an unmanageable question for people who are dying or people who are grieving. How are you?
7: Mm-hmm.
4: And the really cool thing about it is you just have to add one word to that question to make it manageable. How are you today? Or how are you managing today? Is compassionate and manageable and you can ask that to a dying person and you can ask that to a grieving person. Mm. And it's an honest question and it really like kind of offers them an opportunity to breathe and say honestly how they're doing. It's it really moves the question from being a scripted thing you do, mm. a scripted part of our societal mores, right, mm. to a sincere inquiry. Mm. How are you doing today? That is your opportunity to say I'm listening. Mm-hmm. Other than that, I wouldn't ask anything really prying. I wouldn't. Anything else would feel prying to me. Mm -hmm. I'm a counselor. It's a little different. (laughs) But as a friend or like, you know, don't ask too much about like, what was it like? Are you sad? Like, what was it like when they died? Or like, you know, don't ask too many questions. Just be, hold
2: space for them to talk. For sure. Because you don't want to, you want to let them decide where they want to be in terms of what they want to share. Exactly. It's not about your agenda. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I sometimes have a hard time with sometimes people can retreat when they're grieving. Yeah. Sometimes they're not in touch as much or they're not really talking or active on social media as much. Yeah. And I don't really know what to do with that. I'm not sure if I should give someone space or if I should check in with them. Check in. How do you, Yeah, you check in. You check in. When someone's grieving, you check in. OK. And oh,
4: and you check in after someone's grieving. You check in on the holidays. You check in on the birthdays. Right. You check in on those times of year where grief resurfaces and is harder than usual. Mm-hmm. Because what happens after somebody dies and everyone's showing up, Right. And then slowly they taper off, they taper off, and it becomes very quiet. Right. Because you've lost the person you love, and you've lost all the hubbub that came after they died. And it's extra silent. That's when you really need people to check in. Hmm. It's not the weeks after the person's died. It's the months after the person's died. It's when people stop checking in.
5: i'm mackenzie willis within this past year i lost my mother-in-law who i was living with my my first day back from taking bereavement leave you know people coming up to me and like being like how are you and wanting to tell me stories about like like their trauma and their grief and i had a friend who saw me for the first time since i had been back she's like Hey, how are you doing? What am I asking? Like, that's, that's the stupidest question ever. You're terrible. You're horrible. Why would you be okay? And it was just the best thing, just this moment of, of solidarity and just being understood and being seen. Like, it was, it was amazing. I loved it.
7: My name is Sarah. I lost my husband, Kevin on August 7th, 2016. Kevin passed away at home alone, and he died from an accidental heroin overdose. Uh, We have two daughters, and they were five and two at the time of his death. Grief for me in grieving an overdose death has been complicated uh, from society's perspective in an unspoken hierarchy of death. Overdose death, it's pretty well at the bottom, and people don't have the same... Level of empathy or um, sadness for you or sympathy for you when the person you love essentially brought this on himself. People would say that my husband chose to use drugs and he chose to use too many that night, and so therefore he deserved to die. It's such a strange thing to wrestle with that I have all this beautiful stuff because of this trauma I went through. And another thing that I've had to uh grapple with you know in in addition to feeling sad and angry that kevin died i also feel happy and relieved and that's pretty terrible to feel that you feel happy that the person you love most in the world died um but through my grief journey i've come to understand that you can be two feelings at once and you can be feelings that are in opposition and it's okay so i can be sad and angry devastated that my best friend and my person I love most in the world is dead. And at the same time, I can be happy that he is because my life is easier now and I don't have to live with that level of stress that I did. So I can be happy and sad. Grieving for me, it's been a, I hate to say it, but it's been a beautiful lesson and I've learned a ton of things. Um, One of which is it's okay to ask for help. And when people are asking you How they can help, a better way to ask that is to be specific to the person who's grieving. So instead of saying, let me know if you need anything, they could say, I'm going to bring dinner by for you and your family. Is it better for me to drop it off on Thursday or Friday? It takes the decision making out of the griever's hands. I think one of the best things to think about is how much the grieving person wants to hear about the person that they lost. So don't be afraid to bring them up. Don't be afraid to ask questions about them. Don't be afraid to share a memory or a story. If you are worried that you're gonna make us sad by bringing up the name of the person we've lost, we are already sad. And by bringing up the name of the person we lost and talking about them, you might actually be injecting a moment or two of happiness into our day. So ask about them and talk about them.
2: So Harv, how do you feel about talking about grief now? Do you think it's going to be easier now that we've had to do it a bit?
3: Uh, I I feel I am now better equipped to show my actual emotions mm. than being uncomfortable in that situation. Mm. When you are uncomfortable, it becomes more about you than about uh, comforting mm. the person who is grieving. Mm. So I think this episode has really helped me
2: That's awesome. achieve that. That's awesome. So you feel like you're going to be... I guess more open to these conversations and honest with yes, people.
3: Yes. Yes. I can I I don't need to tippy toe around it.
2: Right. Yeah. That's really great, Harv. I think I also have gotten a bit more a little kick in the pants slash courage. I'm gonna check in mm-hmm. with people who I know who are grieving more often because I get really awkward around that. Yes. And maybe I shouldn't. Maybe yes. it's good to check in and mm-hmm. not Get scared about it.
3: And don't forget the food.
2: And the food, yes. Let's uh, practice our casserole-making, (laughs) Harv. I'm Elena Hudgens-Lyle.
3: And I'm Harvinder Vadwa. Thanks for getting inappropriate with us.
2: Thanks so much to our guests this episode. You heard Michael Cruz-Kane and Kayla Moore-Yusuf. You also heard voice notes from Madeline Chung, Mackenzie Willis, and Sarah Keast. We've got more tips on how to talk to people who are grieving at cbc.ca slash iqpodcast. This week's webcomic was drawn by Sarah Getter. You can find it on our Instagram at iqpodcast.
3: The tremendous trio behind this podcast are Sabrina Birch, Cindy Long, and Elena Hudgens Live.
2: The show is mixed by Andrew Norton.
3: Our digital producer is Judy Zegu.
2: The senior producer of CBC Podcasts is Tanya Springer, and the executive producer is Arif Narani. An inappropriate question is like your parents going on vacation without you, and only bringing you back a lousy t-shirt.
1: For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.